in this gathering. Some of us have no right to be in a place like this where your servants are gathered, where your mercy found us, your mercy that was the call found us, that today we stand as your servants interested in your work and your way. We pray that your voice will be loud in our ears. We pray that you will shine your light on our hearts. We pray that this time will be truly a time of impartation. We are grateful, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may please be seated in the hand of And I also want to salute the father of the house, Bishop Kolonyabi, for putting this conference together and for making it possible for us to enjoy the ministry of such great men as Bishop Mosasono, Apostle Bill Basilakis, and others who are going to minister to us. You know, we should not take this for granted because. You can be a minister for 50 years and never experience what you are experiencing here this week. So I want you to join me to put our hands together for Bishop Kolenati and his wife for this wonderful blessing of being in this conference. Keep clapping your hands. Hallelujah. And I also bring greetings from my father and pastor, Bishop Daniel Mills, with whose blessing I'm here sharing fellowship with you. And everything I'm going to share, every word that will be a blessing to you, came for me as I've been um, following him, walking with him, and being over the decades, and I want to thank God for his life, and I pray that this afternoon, something from him will enter you as I minister the word of God this afternoon. Hallelujah. I want to ask us to turn our Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, and verse Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. The King James Bible. Let me get the King James Version. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. good 
to them that love God. How many God lovers are here this afternoon? We know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. The New Living Translation says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Hallelujah. This is a very important scripture we pastors use to, you know, to comfort people who mourn, our members who lose their loved ones when there is also when there is a problem, when somebody has an issue, you know, a challenge, we go to this verse, and rightly so, that God causes all things, that all these things are working together for your good. And you may be weeping at the time, but God one day will cause all these things to work for your good. That you will learn one day that this evil you are experiencing today was for something good ahead of you. But this afternoon, I'm not bringing this scripture up as a scripture we sympathize with. But there is a very, very, very important lesson and key in this verse that everyone here must take note of because it is a very major key for anyone, any pastor who wants to advance in the ministry. Any pastor who wants to build something that is great, don't forget this, this conference is about church growth and church planting. How many of you believe that church growth is a good thing? It's a good thing. Yes. Now, the Bible says, the King James Version says, and we know that all things work together for good. Work together for good. It means that for you to enjoy and experience something good in your life, and at this time you can take it to any area of your life, and that is a very important principle. For you in your life to experience something that is good, that is great, that is powerful, and to put it in the right context, for us to have a mega church, or for you and I to plant churches all through our cities, our nations, and all over the world. If you want to experience something good, the Bible has a key here in this verse that we use to commiserate, we use to sympathize with people about. It says, all things work together for good. It means that for something good to happen, things must work together. For something good to happen, things must work together. So when you see something good happening, it is likely to be a result of many things working together. Things work together for it to be good. 
many things must work together for something to be good. This is a very important thing I'm sharing with you this afternoon because, you see, as I have traveled around, as I have related with pastors, you will meet a pastor who will say that, who just ask that, how come my church is not growing? When I've done outreaches, I've had crusades, I've won souls. Somebody will ask, another person will ask, why is my church not growing? When I've trained leaders and raised workers in my church, somebody will ask, my church is not growing, even though I pray a lot. I'm very powerful. You know, I wait on God with fastings and prayings and prayers. Now, the answer is that nothing good happens when you do only one thing. As a pastor, you will not experience anything good when you are only into prayer. Your church will not grow even if you have a thousand crusades every year. Nothing good happens when you do things alone. For something good to happen, things must work together. Things. Can we all say things? Things. Yes. That is why if you travel a little outside your city, outside your country, just a little, you will realize that most churches are small. Some of us here who are pastors are overseeing small, small, small ministries, dwarf-like ministries, rejecting ministries. But you pray. You read your Bible. You are kind. You are holy. Now, never forget this key and put it into your hand. To experience something good, you must learn to do many things at the same time. Things must work together. Things must work together. And the more things you have working together, the better what you are doing will become. So you have people who, without knowing this city, find themselves working very hard in an area. But you see, there is no area of life where you do only one thing. Any area of your life where you are doing only one thing, only one thing in that area, that area is bound to encounter difficulties and failures. I've been a student all my life, most of my life. I mean, to pass an exam, and I, and I used to pass my exams very well, with very high marks, to pass with good grades. You have to go to school. If you are in the high school, you have to attend.
attend classes. Then after classes, I will do my personal private studies. And then I will, when, when we vacate and I go home, I attend extra classes. Then I look for marking schemes. Marking schemes. How to you can learn and not know how to answer the question. So I look for marking schemes. So I go to school, I study on my own, I look for marking schemes, I use past questions, and then I used to also go for notes given by teachers from other schools, especially schools which are examiners. So when I put all those things together, naturally when I write an exam, because many things were working together, I naturally was getting high marks, 80%, 90%, 70%. And then there are students who only sat in the school and attended the normal classes they had paid for. Never went for extra classes, never looked for marking schemes, never had discussions. All they did was that they would go for lectures, come into their room and study. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the more things you have working together, the better your outcomes. So you will find people who say, I'm doing my best. But your best is not enough because if it takes 10 things to work together for something to move, and you have not only 8 things working together, it will not move. For a car to move, you must have four ties working together to spark your car, to spark a car, and to move the car. You don't only have to have a good battery, but you must also have a full tank. So you cannot say that you are starting the car, your tank is empty. So you are starting the car, and when you get to the nearest filling station, you buy some two gallons. The absence of fuel in your fuel tank will not let the car move because for the car to move, many things must work together at the same time. Now, when you come to church growth, church growth is very different from pastry. Church growth and pastoring are different things. To grow a church is different from just being a pastor of a church. To grow a church is different from preaching nice sermons on Sundays. For a church to grow, many things must work together. My dear pastors, if you do not get this key, you will frustrate yourself. You will always say that you've done something great, but there are no outcomes. So it is very important for you to ask yourself, what does it take? What are the things that must work together? I mean, if a woman marries, and she says that her husband does not love her, even though she dresses very nicely, she's got nice hair, a nice face, nice clothes, and all she does is to dress 
loyalty and disloyalty. In fact, rabbis is uh, loyalty is not something that is taught. It is taught. Loyalty is not taught. People are loyal. You don't teach loyalty. You don't teach loyalty. Why do you teach people to be loyal? So, Tasmania devil entered the church and tore the church apart. His faithful assistant rose up and broke the church apart. After that experience, that pastor, a senior pastor, now had about five copies of loyalty and disloyalty in his bag. Anywhere he's traveling, he has some, and he uses it, he, he just markets it. When he hears of any pastor with that policy, look, I've got this medicine for you, loyalty and disloyalty. Go and teach it in your church. Because until you have had a certain experience, you will not believe that certain things are important for church growth. Yes. A church growing is not a simple thing. A church growing is very complex. But to even build a church which grows, you must, you must use the, the, the message of loyalty to prevent the breaking apart of the church. Can you imagine you build a house and in the night somebody comes and takes some blocks away? In the morning when you come, a wall that you use 100 blocks to build, that wall is now 20 blocks. So you have to start all over again. There are many pastors, some of you are here, who have not advanced well in the ministry, not because you are not a good pastor, but you have been pastoring disloyal people. So your church cannot grow. You cannot even plant churches because the people you must send and plant, you must send out to plant the churches, themselves have not understood loyalty. So when they go and they see a few dollars, they just break away. No, no, no. Why should I take an offering in dollars and come and give it to you? I also have got good taste. So, so, so my dear, for, for, for church planting, to take place and for church growth to happen, many things must work together. Not just two things, not just good preaching, but you must ask yourself how many things are working together as I do this way. There are pastors who on Sundays will just preach a sermon, take an offering, lock the doors, and go home. Yes, this is why. What did he do? He preached, took an offering, gave announcements, and went to lock the doors and went home. Another pastor also preaches a sermon, takes an offering, gives announcements, but stays in the church to have meetings with individuals, one on one meetings with small groups, talking to people, reviewing the work of the choir, reviewing the outreach ministry work, reviewing home sales and so on. By the time the pastor is going home, he has done about 12 things on Sunday. Now, somebody who does 12 things on Sunday, and someone who does only three things on Sunday, who do you expect to have a stable, growing church with the future? All things. Say all things. Say all things. For things to work well, for your church to grow as a pastor, you need to understand 
subject like the anointing. The anointing. The anointing is not shaking. When you say somebody is anointed, you don't, you don't mean the person shakes when he's talking. Or anointing is not speaking with American slangs. Anointing is a spirit. Anointing is basically a spirit that makes a person think in a certain way. A person thinks in a certain way. Your church is the way it is because of how you think. How you think. How you think. And maybe tomorrow, if I have time, I'm going to shut on the anointing because see, to plant churches and to grow churches is very supernatural. It is very supernatural. You don't eat, meat and wake up and get food. You don't just sleep and wake up and go. You must be anointed. Pastors who have churches that are growing are anointed pastors. Yes, an anointing does not come upon a person by osmosis. You don't become anointed by osmosis. Anointing is sought for. Anointing is chased. And without the anointing, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. To, to, to build a large church, it will take the spirit of God. Hallelujah. To be a, a mega church pastor, you must understand leadership. Leadership. What we are witnessing here this week is a result of a certain type of leadership from Bishop Colin Gandhi and his wife. Leadership, which is a subject that typical African doesn't have, doesn't know. To lead people, to lead a small church. To become a large church, to lead people who don't know God, to begin to walk with God and to love God, to lead a church which meets in a classroom and move into a church which meets in its own cathedral. It takes leadership. So a lot of churches are meeting on the canopies and tents in rented drinking bars and on the canopies and all types of funny places because the pastor who is in charge is unable to lead the flock from one place to the other. But when the Lord is your shepherd, the Bible says, He leadeth me in part of righteousness. May leaders come out of this conference in Jesus' name. Say all things. All things. A pastor of a big church must be a student of leadership. How to lead? How to lead a church? May God have mercy on anybody who is under a pastor who is not a leader. And for the African, leadership is not natural. Is very natural. So everybody has what he does naturally. Also, yesterday, also, when the choir was singing, I was, I was amazed that the lead singer, beautiful voice, beautiful voice, she was singing. If you give me the microphone to sing the way she was singing, I'll be, I'll, 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 I'll make a mess of myself. Everybody has what he does naturally. 
the black man dances naturally, sings naturally. I mean, we are into rhythms, rhythms and movements, synchronized movements. Everybody has what he can do. And everybody has what he cannot do well. Like, I cannot sing well. But I can eat well. We as black people do not lead well. Naturally, you will not go to London to the British High Commission in London and find a queue of Zimbabweans or white people moving from London to to, 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 to Bulawayo or to Harare. You will go to Washington, D.C., to the Zimbabwean High Commission and find Americans queuing to move from America to Zimbabwe. Do you find that? No. But when you go to Harare, tomorrow morning or Monday morning, I don't know about you, but in Accra, there are queues at the American Embassy, at the British High Commission, Netherlands Embassy, the Embassy of Spain, French Embassy, queues. What do you think they are running away from? From the weather? Our weather is far nicer than their weather. What do you think they are running away from? From the mountains and the rivers? Is it that we are afraid of the rivers and the mountains that are in Africa? People are rather leaving their countries to come to climb our mountains. What are Africans running away from? They are running away from leadership. Leadership. And some of us who are pastors, spiritually, our members are killing at spiritual embassies in a hurry to leave our churches. But it has been reversed in this conference in the name of Jesus. What is a mega church? A mega church is a church where people don't leave. People don't leave Ghana. And if you add the population of Ghanaians in America, in the UK, in the diaspora, our population will, will maybe double. But continually, people are running away from our church. To build a mega church, you must be a pastor under whom people prosper, under whom people know God, and under whose leadership people are happy to grow and to know God as their Savior. As their Savior. So say again, all things, all things. So today, for the few minutes I have, I want to share something that is very important if you want to build a big church. And that is four very powerful keys that are in this book, Transform. Transform your pastoral ministry. Transform your pastoral ministry. For many of us to go into church planting, our ministries might be transformed. For some of us to have big churches, our ministries might be transformed. You see, if you, if you continue to do what you've been doing, you are going to get the same result. Please. The only change that is needed 
for you to move to your next level is the change in your style of pastoring. Your church is the way it is because of your style of pastoring. The lack of branches, the lack of growth, it is because of a certain lack of ingredients in your ministry. Now, this book puts into our hands all very powerful, say all things, say all things, all very powerful things that a pastor cannot work without. If you are a pastor and you want to build a church that grows, a church that is healthy, you need these keys. And these keys have been very powerfully taught in this book, Transform Your Pastoral Ministry, by my pastor and father, Bishop Dagwabi. The first key that leads to growth, that leads to enlargement, is the key of prayer. Prayer. Who don't pray? There are pastors who are into movies. Yes. Movies. They know the latest Nigerian movies. They know the latest South African shorts. They know the latest Tamil novellas. And they want to have a big church. You see, a church that grows. When a church is growing, it is very supernatural. The growth of a church is very supernatural. If you want your church to grow, you must move into the supernatural. And in this book, we learn 10 reasons why the mega church pastor must be a prayerful pastor. And the first reason is that prayer is a great act of faith. Prayer is a great act of faith. A pastor is a man of faith. And when you don't pray, you are showing that you don't have any trust in God. When a pastor does not pray, without saying it with his mouth, he or she is saying that he or she does not believe in God. You know, there are certain things you can't say with your mouth. There are many things you can't say with your mouth. There are even some things you can't say with your mouth to your parents. You cannot stand in front of your father and call him a fool. So many of us who are pastors don't even have the boldness to make certain declarations toward God. I mean, can you imagine a pastor who says to God, I don't believe in you. You are not there. 
Are you sure God? Can you say that? Can you say God is useless? Can you say God has no power? You cannot, if you are afraid to say it with your mouth, but your actions can show. That is why it is not everything you say with your mouth that is what you are saying. We look at what you call your body language. Your body language, your behavior is also a statement. So when a pastor is into sleeping, you sleep in the night and you wake up in the morning with goats. You sleep and you wake up with the chickens. You sleep and you wake up with the cows. You are saying to God that you don't really believe in Him. You don't really trust Him. When a man wakes up in the night and prays, the man is showing his dependence on God. And to build a mega church, Nicodemus told Jesus that no man can do this work unless God is helping him. Unless God is with him. What's this? What's this? Please, let me tell you this. After everything has been said at this conference and time, I'm telling you that if prayer is not part of the things you are doing, please do not expect much. Because the ministry is supernatural. The work of God, that's why it's called the work of God, not the work of man. It is supernatural. And to do it well, you need to be a man of prayer. Not, you see, when your church members are praying for 30 minutes, 20 minutes, one hour, you as a pastor must not be found praying the way they pray. You, the pastor, must pray for three hours. You wake up at 3 o'clock and you pray till 6 a.m. It shows that you are a man who believes in God. Don't forget, we're talking about church growth and church planting. It's different from selling milk and sugar. Church growth and church planting is different from, 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 from building a house. It is supernatural. Which is why most pastors have small churches. I doubt if there's how many pastors here can stand up and say, last Sunday you preached 1,000 people. Last Sunday, yesterday, Sunday, there were 1,000 people in your church. A few of us can say that. Most of us are preaching to 60 people, 40 people, 100, 300, 500. And it's not just do the church. The vision of a pastor is not to pastor a church who counts in hundreds. A pastor's church, a, a man of God, your church should not be counted in hundreds. A pastor aims at counting your sheep in thousands. That is why we pray. If you thought this conference is going to put into your hands tricks, tricks and gimmicks, I mean, what to do? Do you 
wear a green suit? Do you wear white shoes? What do you do? Do you, do you plan your hair to have members? No. You pray to have members. You wait on God to have members. Yes, you pray. You wait on God. The second reason why we pray is that prayer makes you into a man of authority. When Jesus preached in Matthew 7, 28, the Bible says, says it came to pass, Matthew 7, 28, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority.
you be a man of authority. May you be a man whose words carry convicting power, transforming power. South, I will begin to pray from today. I didn't hear you well. Say, I will begin to pray from today. Number three. Number three. Pray. Because prayer makes you into a man of anointing. 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 The men who were anointed were men of prayer. Moses was a man who was very anointed. You read from Exodus 24 that he waited before the Lord 40 days, day and night. My pastor, when was the last time you waited on God for three days? You went somewhere to wait on God. How is it possible that people know you more than the mayor of the city? You are so common. Everybody sees you every day. A real pastor hides. A real pastor hides and waits on God. I'm talking about the power to plant churches. Without prayer, look, you can plant it. It will unplant itself. If you don't pray, you are going for a crusade, you are going to plant a church, you want to do something in your church, it must be a result of prayer. And prayer releases the anointing. Jesus prayed. Jesus, he woke up, he prayed. The anointing is not from, from, from speaking with American English. When you drive a Mercedes Benz, it doesn't mean you are anointed. When you wear pink striped suit, it doesn't mean you are anointed. Your works will show that you are anointed. May your works show. May your church grow. May your church exist in many, many places. Say, I will pray. Number four. in your church. You think everything happening is normal? Or, I mean, only God is in your church? No. No. You don't have only angels. Even Jonah says that when the Son of God gathered before God, Satan was there. One of your duties as a pastor is to continually paralyze the work of the devil. Continually paralyze the work of the devil. Did you know that there is nothing like a permanent victory? Yes, yes. There is nothing like a permanent victory or a permanent defeat. There is nothing like that. 
There is no victory that is permanent. There is no defeat that is permanent. You might have defeated the devil or demons in your church last month. But if you read your Bible, the Bible says they, they say to themselves, I shall return. I shall return. Even in sports, there's rematch. In boxing, they fight again. Somebody wins the, wins the belt and, 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 and he is challenged. The victory you won in your ministry last year is not the only victory you must win. It's through the tables contained to your surprise. If you took nothing away from this, I'm telling you, take this one home. There is no victory. There is no success. There is no triumph. That is permanent. That's why we pray every day. That's why today we win. But tomorrow we pray. Tomorrow we win. Tomorrow night we pray because every day we have to pray because the devil does not know the way it is over. The phrase it is over. No. Even when it's done, it's screaming loudest. When you drag him out, he goes to roam around and he comes back. So as pastors, today God has anointed you, today God has left on you, but you know your past. You know the problems, your moral problems, your spiritual problems, your weaknesses. But the grace of God today, you have overcome it and you are in church. But ladies and gentlemen, what you have overcome can easily bounce back and it will surprise you. Yeah, you'll be surprised that in two years' time, you'll be there and you, you, have, you have a desire to drink it. That's what it says. It says, you, you must. You must find the activity that causes divisions and disloyalty amongst leaders. Leaders in your church, as you are preaching with anointing, your leaders don't talk to each other. As you are fired up, preaching and sweating, your leaders are angry with you. But they will say, the priest in their heads are in their heads. So you pray in the night. You wake up and you pray to destroy demonic activities that bring divisions. How can your church grow if it is divided? How can your church grow? I mean, what will division do to your church? It will only diminish your church. And all these things, uh, uh, Elder, Elder Matthew and Elder Francisca are not talking. It is abundance. It's not even natural. It's demons. It's demons, that's why you pray. You must bind the influence that causes backsliding, immorality, and sin in your members and in yourselves. Immorality, sin. That is why we pray. We pray to destroy. Pastors, I'm saying that church growth is supernatural. It's not something you just get some tips and gimmicks. It's not something you just go by conference and they tell you, use this grass, use this charts, do this, go here. No, no. Men of prayer, what are you going to do? 
have something in your head. I want you to just go down. He said, somebody asked me, or, 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 I forget how to make that. And he said, if you were to be a young pastor now, you can have any man your time. So I want to show Korea, Jethro, international. He said, if you were to be to start the ministry again, he would do the ministry in his room. He would be in his room praying and calling the members to come. He will use prayer to pass the people. He will use prayer to, to draw the people. Because at the end of the day, what is it that makes people come to come again and want to come again and come again till they stay for years? It is the power of God. Scattered my flock and driven them away. 
have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings. Place I want you to grow today. Scattered my flock. This is the opposite of church growth. The opposite of church growing is members scattering. Jesus in Matthew 9, he saw the crowd and he used the same way. They were scattered. That was when he asked that we pray for laborers. There is something called the scattering of our sheep. And the Bible gives us the cause of scattering. And I would have thought that the, the reason would be that they don't pray. It says, you have not visited them. So there is something paradise that visitation will never do. And there is something visitation does. That prayer can never do. The solution to the scattering of our members is the situation. This situation. You know, sometimes you have in a church, you know, if you read Matthew 9, you will see that Jesus Christ did not what made this make that comment was not that the people were few. It was that he saw the multitude. I can be the pastor of this church with this place full of people, but it is a scattered church. Let me say it again. You may be you are talking about your father. Let me say I said Jesus Christ in Matthew 9, he did not see Pockets of people. He saw multitudes. He saw multitudes. So having a big church is not the end. You can have a big church that is actually a scattered church. Actually, that big church may actually be a church where there's a high turnover. It's almost like they meet somewhere and agree who comes to church this week. And who shouldn't come next week? So, so if you ask, you do try it on Sunday. Pastor Sam, ask you try on Sunday. Ask your members, how many of you were not here last Sunday? And next week, you ask, how many of you were here? Were not here last Sunday? Always, it's like a shifting cultivation. So you have the church. This is my church. But when Jesus looks at the church, he sees it as a scattered church. So he said, Ask the Lord to send labor. Ask the Lord, pray that you send labor. Labor to do what? Jeremiah tells us, labor who visit. Every pastor, I'm giving you your homework for the next 10 years. Every week, if you are a real pastor, you must have a list of people to visit. They may be two. They may be three. They may be seven, of course. You cannot visit seven people. Five people. If you are the secretary, 
or your personal assistant, tell him, tell him, furnish me with four names every week. Every Sunday, give him a list for the week. So on Sunday, he will bring you, he also will bring you names. A pastor must visit. We are not chief executives. We are not prime ministers. We are humble servants, actually. Our name is laborers, laborers. Don't make yourself too big. I'm preaching about church groups. As, as you can see, I've not mentioned having a crusade. I've not mentioned going on outreach. I'm talking about practical things also that lead a church to grow. Because a church can grow if it's not stable. Not the pastor, 
not a crusade, not an outreach. My friend brought me to the church, or my relative brought me to the church. 75 to 90 percent. So, pastors, let me tell you this. From this, you can tell that when a person feels loved in the church, you will not even need to have a crusade. We don't have crusades to grow our church, per se. We go out to preach the gospel because we must go out to preach the gospel. But you, the pastor, must love your church members and visit them and care for them. When the person feels your love, he himself will go and tell his friend, come and see a pastor I have never met before. Come and experience a church I have never experienced before. When you show love, a visit is an act of love. So you can see, all things work together for good. So you are praying but you are also visiting. Because a visit, once imagine you are in your house and your head pastor comes to your house. Imagine. Or a pastor in the church. Imagine you are at home or you are in your office and you say, oh, uh, somebody wants to say, who? Oh, Emmanuel, it's Emmanuel. And when the person comes to you, it's your home cell leader who has come to say, I'm coming to just check on you. Uh, I'm not coming to just spend a little time. Just to see how you are doing. It was great to see you on Sunday. Uh, the place where you just part that church. How are you feeling? It's a little more Let us go. Let me just give you an opportunity. Have I paid for Miriam? I ask that you keep her. You watch over her. Guide her through the day. And let this week be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Emilia, I'll see you on Sunday. God bless you. Don't you think Emilia will feel a certain love that, that no, 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 no other power could have shown her? Don't. One of the reasons why we visit is that every church member needs a visit. Every church member. Not only the rich men, not only those who own cars, not only the front row occupiers, not only the important people, every church member needs a visit. Needs a visit. Number two, every church member desires a visit. They deserve it. They deserve a visit. Number three, every church member expects a visit. They may not tell you. They may not come and ask you, Pastor, when will you come to my house? But as you are there, they see girls who don't go to church. Their boyfriends visit them. Their boyfriends' roommates visit them. And they are in church with pastors and leaders and nobody comes home. They ask themselves, ah, is it worth it? Here. 
there will be no salvation. But God did not sit in heaven and do things to salvation to us. He came practically in the form of Jesus Christ. He arrived on earth. Philippians 2 says, He took upon Himself the form of a servant. God, Master, don't be too big to visit your members. This is how to, so, so when you see somebody, look, I was in the medical school, medical student, no food, no money, nothing, except knowledge of medicine. My pastor came to my hostel, came to my room, sat in my room, not once. Don't you think that that will sink into my heart? And I'm asking you, when was the last time your church member saw your face in your house, in your house? Two months, three months. Say, no, 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 there's no love here. There's no, no, no. One, one visit to somebody's house totally can change the person's mind. And this is how come to But today, today's pastor, this is what I'm saying. It's not some old fables. It's not some, 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 some ancient teachings. Today's modern day pastor. Oh, oh. That comes, that comes and ministers the word. Just receive it. Take it one. Take it two. The members go, but they go home to Jay-Z, to Beyonce. They go to unbeliever rappers. Some of your members are being pastored by pornography directors. With you. Not because you stole the church's money or you committed adultery. I'm, I'm angry with you because you did not visit Jeremiah 23, verse 2. You did not visit. Say all things. Say all things. The third thing a pastor must do, in addition to prayer, in addition to visiting, say all things. Now, I'm just giving you only four things, but there are more. When I have the time, I'll share some more with you. Many things must go together for your church to grow. <laughs> so, you know, I can understand if you are here just preaching on Sunday and locking your door at 2 p.m., you can understand what you are doing to your church. The next thing is teaching.
sister that's not teachable and teachable. See, because Jeremiah 32 is the connection that exists between the believer and God. Between us who are believers and God, Jeremiah 32 says, I will give you access according to my heart. Which shall, which shall do what? Feed you with knowledge and understanding. This is the expectation of heaven. This is not the expectation of Bishop Daniel Mills. Heaven expects you, if you, are, if you really represent God in the lives of your members, you must be someone who can teach. You teach knowledge. You teach understanding. You help your members to understand what it means to be a Christian. Today, the average Christian who darkens the doorway of our big, big churches and small small churches does not even understand what Christianity is. For many of them, church attendance is Christianity. Because when they go to church, they are Christians. Some think that when they are born of Christian parents, it means they are Christians. But you don't become Christ, a Christian by osmosis. The fact that your father and your mother were Christians or were pastors does not mean that you are also a Christian. A Christian experience, Christianity is an experience of the heart. It does not enter you by diffusion. Does not enter you because you rub your skin against someone. Christianity is something of the heart, and you teach. You teach. That's why a pastor, if you are a pastor, if there's anything to develop, look, if I have three things to develop, I will suggest to you the first one, a half of prayer, is to teach and The second one, A lot of the teaching I do is one-on-one. One-on-one in a small group. But you meet a person. If you want to have a life of Christ, a lot of his teachings were private teachings. Pastor, develop yourself by even having your quiet time every day. There are pastors here who haven't had their quiet time today. The pastors who read the Bible only when they are going to preach. But he said, I will give you pastors. Oh, I pray that your church members will find me that type of pastor. I said, I pray your church members will find me that type of pastor who is able to teach, to teach, to teach, to establish doctrines, to help your members to understand. That's what we learned today. When the Enoch met Philip, Philip met the Enoch, he said, Do you understand what you are reading? And the man said, How can I understand? When there's no one to teach me, your members will not understand anything if you are not a good teacher. 
you must be, and, and not only must you be a good teacher, you must train your leaders to teach well. Every leader under you must have the ability to teach well. And one of the ways to teach well is to listen to preaching and teachings. How somebody takes a scripture and how, how the subject is even introduced. How, how, how the subject is broken down. How, how it is presented. Step one, step two, step three. So there is understanding. May you be a teacher of understanding. We know them in town. These are the seven. But how, how, how can 
and you are preaching so powerfully. Because you may not be a university graduate, but you can still develop the art of teaching by listening to messages, by reading books. You do not need to be a graduate to teach well. not just a carpenter. He himself was a carpenter. And the carpenters of those days are the same as the carpenters today. They don't have a certain level of education. I saw graduates and professors who, who, who want to take carpentry as their hobby. I know somebody who, who has a master's degree who says that she wants to sew it, just sew it. She sews, that she has a master's degree. But most tailors and seed presses have not finished their job, but they do all English and maths and geography. But Jesus Christ, he was a carpenter. But when he preached, in Mark 6, they were astonished. You see, when somebody is going and you have 5,000 people following him, there is a reason. And tomorrow, God will, I'm going to give you one of those reasons. When you see somebody going, a pastor going somewhere, and five, when he turns himself, 5,000 people are following him. There is a reason. And one of the reasons is prayer. Another is visitation. They've experienced a certain love from the pastor. They can never tear themselves away from it. Another one is teaching. The pastor has taught them. That was what Peter told Jesus in John 6 when he asked them, Will you also not go? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? And the reason Peter gave for not leaving Jesus was that he said, You have the words of eternal life, your teachings are powerful. That is why I will not leave you. May your members not leave you because they find you to be a powerful teacher. And the last, the last, I've given you four today that will transform your ministry and make you a mega church pastor. Remember, Romans 8:28. All things work together. Say all things. As I say, all things, I've taught you that this is not just a test we use to console people who are born. But there's also a message in it that for something to be good, things must work together. Things working together for good. The last key I'm putting into your hands today as a church growth key is the key of Interaction. Interaction. What does it mean to interact? As we look today, Because to you, to be a pastor means to preach. 
release a powerful wave. And it's a prophetic wave. There's somebody here. Your name is Angela. Your sister is Peaches. Your father died two years ago. Have a way for you. Rise up now. If you are here like that, Angela, stand up. I want to pray for you. Stand up. Please show Angela to remember that. Somebody call her Angela one day or two. with someone on a personal note, intimate counsel, one-on-one interact. A pastor is not only interested in the crowds. A pastor is also interested in the individuals, can you imagine being in church on Sunday? When you enter the church and after cancer tells you that Reverend would like to see you at the church. And when you go, he says, Oh, I just want to find out how you are doing. You can even collapse. Some of you pastors, when you are going on the station, you need to get ambulances to come along. Because some of you, when your members see you in your house, that's the sight of you, they'll collapse. And you need an ambulance to put them in and take them to the Your visitation will lead to people becoming unconscious. They'll be shocked. What is my man of God doing in my house? How? Interacting means that. And I sit with you, you and I. It's not only when you are chasing a girl that you talk to somebody one on one. A pastor also spends time. You see, when we talk about the growing of a church, when you have elections, elections, you have elections in Zimbabwe, you do. Thank you. 
how is life at home? How is marriage? How is your daughter who was not well? To even know that his daughter was not well is an exploit and achievement for a pastor. You may be a pastor and not know that your worship leader is having problems with his daughter because you are not a Inside this man. 
Just this 
Let's talk to us. Let's talk to us. 
One more time, church. No gimmicks, no way. Come on, church, come to Jesus. Hey, I can see you, Kevin. Somebody shouts. Can we have men whispering and ladies who do that thing together? The word of God is powerful. Hey, hey, yeah. One more time for Jesus. I see churches overflowing with numbers here. Hi, yes. What could Bishop Smith be doing to be a good Bishop Smith? This day, put that this one to play. Keep on sending your guys. Keep on, keep on, keep on. Please take your seat. Mary, let's go to the back, ladies, please. Ready to rush quickly. 